1: This morning, we will extinguish a candle on our altar in honor of Sidney Poitier. Academy Award-winning actor, director, Bahamian ambassador for a decade to Japan, awarded the Presidential Medal of Honor, of Freedom. Activist who used his talents and presence both to change the way that black men were portrayed in Hollywood, but also used his position and visibility, as we all know, to bring attention to the civil rights movement and to work for the change of black Americans' lives. Wesley Morris in the New York Times said of Poitier in a quote that Mark sent me, he became the star he did because he was the star we desperately needed him to be. So we extinguish the candle with gratitude and grief for another long and gorgeous, gifted, generous, fruitful and courageous life lived and lost. Go lifted in love, Mr. Poitier. I wanna Thank everybody for joining us here on live stream this morning. I'm Vanessa Southern. I'm the senior minister here at the First Unitarian Universalist Society of San Francisco. And it is both fabulous and a little sad to be with you here on live stream this morning. We are really good at this, too good, and just when we are getting used to being back in one another's physical company. But let's hope and pray that this this surge crests and falls quickly and we remember it as the last. And in the meantime, we gather in worship. So I hope you're comfortable wherever you are, that you're centered and present to a moment that you give yourself at the end of one week and the cusp of another. we have gathered this morning so many people who are making this possible. We have some fantastic music in store for you today. Jill Brindell is here on cello so you can soak that in and let it wrap you like a warm blanket during this time. And Brielle Marina Nielsen is going to be leading us in song for which we're incredibly grateful and we're spread far and wide and we're all those of us without their masks are antigen tested and even PCR tested so um, you can read our lips, those of you who need to, in order to understand completely what we're saying. I want to thank our camera crew today, which is not only Eric Shackelford, but it is Oda Lane, who has expanded her portfolio beyond the incredible organ music, but is also helping us operate our camera this morning as we all pull together to lead a rich worship for you, expanding our portfolios all around to Jonathan Silk, who makes all things AV possible, and Joe Chapeau, who's there to help you on the chat and answer questions, and all the building staff who made this morning possible with warmth and welcome, and our gorgeous flowers that Carrie Steer Salazar prepared and placed for us. And last but not least, Dennis Adams, who is our worship associate this morning with a gorgeous reflection to share. Our RE families are home today, so our love to you at home. So welcome, stretch. Remember, worship is not a spectator sport, but a treasure hunt looking for something that you can take with you that will carry you, bolster you, center you, invite you into reflection or action in the week ahead and these lives of greater meaning and purpose that we seek and make together. So we begin our worship lighting a candle in honor of all of us who are not here in person, but bringing us all here in spirit into this space until such time as we can be together again in body. And we begin with song, a gorgeous hymn number 90 from all the fret and fever of the day. Welcome to worship. is your first time joining us this morning and you haven't already, I'd invite you to download the order of service so you can follow along with the worship service. There should be a link in the description below. And you can fill out our connections form and that way we will send you a link to the Sunday services but also to the order of service so you can find your way here easily each morning. There's a coffee hour online, a Zoom coffee hour to follow service, so please feel invited to join in on that. And lots of opportunities to connect, even in the midst of pandemic, lots of opportunities to connect right at your fingertips if you just look at the order of service and feel free to participate in any and everything there that interests you. I want to thank everybody for the generous, generous gifts to support Sacred Dignity, which is this new interfaith, intersectional effort of faith communities to reclaim reproductive dignity and autonomy that's being started with the help of Unitarian Universalists around the country, but not just us, and has its first inaugural virtual conference at the end of this month, for which we are becoming a sponsor and the gifts have continued to come in this week. And if you still want to be part of increasing our ability to make that effort possible robustly in this particular environment in the world around reproductive freedoms and the threats to it, we will continue to accept your checks. So just send them in. And if you can just let us know that it's coming, that will be great. So we can let them know what level of support we'll be able to offer, which we will do this week. So thank you all, and in that same spirit, this morning is the morning that we are taking our offering for the UU Service Committee. But first, I just want you to let, to let you know that at the close of 2021, this congregation, that is all the donations of people who identified themselves as members of our congregation through our guest at your table offerings, major gifts, people who bought gift baskets, we were able to give to the Unitarian Universalist Service Committee $58,635, all of which those of you who know the organization know, and you can read more about it in the order of service, and you can read more about it online, is our international and human rights arm of our denomination. And it's incredible the way that it does its work. My husband is actually currently on the board and has been really impressed with the work that UUSC does. The partnership model that supports grassroots organizations, it's beginning to live into this different model of how to do allyship and philanthropy, frankly, that are radical and, and, uh, and on the right track, actually, to speak our values in the world. So we are showing up through the Unitarian Universalist Service Committee in a lot of places where human rights are targeted and in projects that often fall through the cracks of large aid organizations, where we are able to come in in really targeted ways that make a difference. It's phenomenal work, and we have been a big piece of the support structure behind UUSC. This morning, we're taking the offering again for UUSC. Those of you who put boxes on your tables during the holidays to recognize with offerings those who were not at our tables but who need us, you can, and we invite you to this week, pull together those gifts and any additional you wanna add to it and either give through our online donation portal or send a check and we will pull those together and send a check to the Unitarian Universalist Service Committee and let you know how we did already just at the start of this year. So thank you in advance for all of your generous offerings. My last announcement is just to call everyone's attention to the forum that is happening at one o'clock today, which is, sort of marks, I think, the best of what we do here in this congregation among our lay leadership. The program which I was just listening to a rebroadcast of an interview that happened on Pacifica Radio on the 7th of January about the program is to raise awareness for Iran's political prisoners, people who like writers and filmmakers and human rights activists and people who simply are fighting for freedom of the press are in prisons, are not getting fair hearings, are not getting heard at all, are being treated horrifically though they're arguing and advocating for the world that we also believe is the one that will lead to greatest fruition and wholeness. We have a phenomenal list of people who will be there as part of the panel. It's happening from 1 to 2.30. If it's not an issue that you're already active in, I'd invite you to come and hear more about it. If it is one you're active in, I'd invite you to come and hear more about it super proud that we are the ones hosting it and making it possible. And already the Iranian community, not only in San Francisco and in California, but around the country has expressed their gratitude for what we're doing to raise attention for an issue that has really fallen between the cracks. So please come. I'll see you there at one o'clock today.
2: We light this chalice for the light of truth, the warmth of love, and the fire of commitment. We like this symbol of our faith as we gather together.
0: When I breathe in, I'll breathe in peace. When I breathe out, I'll breathe out love. When I breathe in, I'll breathe in peace. When I breathe out, When I breathe in, I'll breathe in peace when I breathe on.
2: you'll join me in saying our covenant and singing our doxology. We'll slip a little further into service. Love is the spirit of this church and service is its prayer. This is the great covenant to dwell together in peace, to seek the truth in freedom, and to help one another.
1: there is human suffering all over this world in the course of natural and human catastrophes, we ring our gong today in honor of three such places of struggle. We ring our gong first, as we have since July 2019, for those lives held and those lives lost in federal custody in our detention camps for all people still held without charges in less than transparent or humane circumstances here and around the world in the ongoing disregard for human life that speaks to xenophobia, racism, and greed that flows and threads through our nation's history, but also through human history. We ring our gong seven times for this week of days, bearing witness to this suffering and moral failure. We ring our gong additionally once for the losses this week to COVID-19. 42,506 people died globally from the virus. 8,662 of those deaths in the United States. We hold in our hearts all those who lost loved ones, and all those, too, who work around the globe, increasingly struggling and exhausted, but working around the clock to stem the losses. And we hold all those inequities and losses, all the painful realities of our own hearts this day in this collective moment, striking our gong once for sacred witness to that that dwells in your own life. And so may we keep all that, all those we have named in our thoughts and in our prayers and may we ease the tide of human suffering this coming week, howsoever we can.
2: a prayer now following the words of kyle johnson mystery of the universe you who some think of not as a being among other beings but as the very ground of being itself thank you for this day for another sunrise another chance for us to witness the wonder of creation we know that yours is a creation that is truly double-edged a yin-yang universe for it is indeed one in which the life-giving flame can also burn, but it is also one in which the dark, cold, misting rain gives us rebirth in spring. And it is one in which, paradoxically, our acquaintance with pain and sorrow can help us better appreciate pleasant pleasure and joy. Help us then to have the courage and strength to embrace it all, to embrace what is, Help us, we who are similarly double-edged, whose love for those closest to us can easily provoke our own tribal instincts and prejudices, whose own pain, rather than fostering empathy and compassion, may turn us inward to dig moats and build walls, rather than bridges. So help us to embrace this double-edged yin-yang universe with courage and strength but above all, help us to do so in a spirit of love and compassion. For this, it seems, is our eternal challenge, as it is also the wellspring of our eternal salvation. Thank you. If I had been asked about God in 1973, I probably would have hemmed and hawed and talked in puzzling circles. For to me, God was a living concept, very much unable to be expressed in words, something rather to be lived. Most of my time in the army, I was in crisis, mostly for what I was being taught, but also from the ready availability of hard drugs and their accepted use. I was stationed in Panama for most of 1974 and became far too familiar with pharmaceutical solutions, methamphetamine to make it through a 24-hour guard shift or a four-speed march, downers to finally get some sleep, and so much cocaine I feared for my life. So I tried to get a compassionate reassignment to the United States, but was denied. I slipped more fully into the use and abuse cycle until finally becoming suicidal. I not only despised who I'd become, but lost all hope for change. So I sat down and wrote a goodbye letter to my parents, which I put in my desk. Then I took an intentional overdose of Duradin, a heavy hypnotic tranquilizer, chasing it with beer until the whole bottle was gone. I ended up with 10.6 milligrams in my bloodstream where 4.2 could be fatal. Then I simply went to bed and I thought, this is it. But some powers of the universe wanted me to survive. I ended up in a hospital, dead on arrival, and was actually being wheeled to the morgue when a young doctor named Stephen Brown said, bring him in here for a post-mortem. When he found only beta brainwaves, they pushed the panic button and shocked me back to life. Well, I was breathing and my heart still beating, but I was comatose for four days. And when I finally came around, my father, Frank, was there. My first coherent thought was, Either he's in Panama or I'm in Michigan. He, being a true force of nature, wanting me out of the Army and Panama and back in the USA, worked his way up my chain of command all the way to Brigadier General and got us passage on a medical plane to Fort Knox, Kentucky, where I would be placed on an Army psychiatric ward for three months. Eventually, when I could talk again, I puzzled up my survival. My dad arranged a phone call to our old American Baptist family friend Reverend Robert Wallace out here in Redlands, California. Bob told me in no uncertain terms that God was not finished with me yet. That I'd have a lot of hard work ahead, but rest in the knowledge that God was holding me in her hands. My dad insisted on accompanying me to Kentucky on the military transport that had been arranged. During my time on the ward, I saw lots of pain and pathos and was pleased to bring my empathy and intelligence into this situation. My sense of humor seemed to reemerge, and some spark my minister had instilled in me long ago banked and glowed like coals until I actually recognized myself again. I was released from the army on an honorable discharge under medical conditions, and that was that. Except now I could use my GI Bill to study theater arts, this time in the Midwest, and the subsequent 45 years as Poindexter the Clown has proving my minister friend right. I had boatloads more to learn and love to share. So you ask me about God. To me, God is whenever a child giggles with glee. I see God in trees and flowers and rainbows and clouds. But the thing I'd forgotten in Panama and would try never to forget again is that God lives in us all, each of us and all of us. And if you ever find yourself so down and out, you think you want to end it all, please don't. Instead, connect with our church here, and we will find you help. This church is here for you and I, and our hopes and beliefs and faith are the engines that keep us running. Blessings.
1: It's so lovely to have you playing Bach today because these sweets were something that I had a CD of during seminary and in my solitary room with just a cup of tea and books, night after night after night, that's what I would play. And the reading this morning is from one of those books, so it feels beautifully synergistic for me. Chill. Our reading is by theologian Gordon Kaufman, who was a professor at Harvard Divinity School for three decades. From his book, In Face of Mystery, he writes, the reality, and I've made some changes to reflect more modern language in a couple places, even though it was just written in 1993, The reality of God has become widely questioned because of our increasing conviction that the modern scientifically described world has no place for such a being. But in addition, the massive outbreaks of evil in our time have made the notion that human life is under the loving care of a father creator who governs all that is simply incredible. Oppressed peoples, people of color, women, people from the developing world have protested loudly that the destructive domination of much of the world by a white male elite class during recent centuries has been fostered and legitimately partly by corrupted forms of belief in this very God. And Ecological writers have been able to show a connection of Western theistic religious beliefs with the unrestrained exploitation of the resources of our planet and the life-threatening pollution of our environment. Massive human suffering. Therefore, both of humans and other forms of life seems to be significantly attributable to faith in and supposed service to the God of Western religious traditions. Even if we could still believe in such a God and could orient our lives in terms of his commands, would we want to do so? Here ends the question that opens our reflection. Mm Unitarian Universalist, UU, Congregation of San Francisco World, and I don't know how much it's true for other religious communities around the country, around the world, I have found that when we enter the world of talking about God, we enter carefully. And we enter with great tenderness, aware that this particular landscape of language and lived experience is one in which there is often an enormous amount of pain and hurt. Not everyone has felt rescued or assured in a weak and despairing moment the way Dennis did by a mention of a God and what that God thought or believed about us. God talk has for many of us shown up weaponized often in the hands and mouths of folks who seemed magically (laughs) to know exactly who God is or talk as if they did. People who magically seemed to know exactly what God wanted or who she loved or didn't talked with amazing certainty about whom God would damn and who was the true secret favorite of the divine. In a lecture that my friend and now professor of philosophy and the director of undergraduate studies at Stanford, Nadim Hussein gave this fall entitled, Is Morality Bullshit? Which he admitted was in part a marketing tool to get people to attend the lecture <laughs> during that weekend. Nadim made the point, a good one, that when talking about morality, particularly morality that's in reference to an ultimate reality like God, one in which knowledge is hard to come by, harder to prove and nail down with specificity, that we are best to do our speaking in the way that we would about any other subject that has that kind of relationship to scientific truth or repeatable truth. And that is to do it with humility Harm is done as it always has been done, I think, by those who missed that lecture or its equivalent insight. And we then sometimes who feel so keenly that what others said out of a spirit of knowing about God was so hateful or so small or abusive, that we sometimes decided to in response reject the whole notion of this God, but also just the whole God-venture. God, him, her, itself. To others, in response to their ugliness and foolishness, many of us then lost or gave up on the whole endeavor of God. But I think there's a role for God and God talk and the God venture in our shared life. Or I wouldn't have much to say this morning, I guess. It is true, as is written in the I Ching, that God and the devil are both human images. And yet, I suppose it's also true that many things that we think are important to name and hold up as ideas and ideals that we are in relationship to, things like justice, compassion, equity, courage, those are similar kinds of entities. God is not God's name, but our name, the Reverend Forrest Church used to say, it's our name for that which is dot, dot, dot. And I won't share with you how Forrest Church ended the sentence because that I think is exactly where this reconstructive theology, yours, mine, ours begins. Choosing not to be literalists, biblical or theological, but deciding what it is toward which this name for that which is beyond naming points us to lean or to reach or to be deeper and in more accountable relationship with. What does it point us toward? Our name for what? Because this is where the fun and the power and the age-old but ever-changing meaning-making religious venture, at least the God portion of it for me, begins. Forrest also used to say, tell me about the God you don't believe in. I bet I don't believe in him either. (laughs) And I remember a UCC minister, brilliant and cutting edge in their thinking, saying it's so funny how so many people are quick to reject my God and tell me they do. Assuming that I believe in a God that no self-respecting progressive has put their stock in for over half a century. And then the minister going on to wonder why so often Unitarian Universalists in particular that they met never bothered to ask them what they mean by the God that they say they believe in, meaning that this minister says they believe in. That assuming, that moment of assumption, is not only not really reflective of the spirit of interfaith living that we all, I think, affirm, and the love of difference, assumed a difference in this moment, but assumed a difference that we affirm. But it's, it also shuts down this incredibly fascinating conversation about how we as human beings some of us, name this ultimately reality that we are orienting our life in relationship to in fundamental ways. Religion, of course, has always spoken in metaphor and story and parable, this particular kind of language, The conversation about God is in that place. And for most of us, many like the UCC minister, a a literal bearded, white, all-powerful, all-loving, all-knowing, God in the skies, male who thinks that, I don't know, being gay is a sin and is aligned with the powerful and rewards the good with worldly power, and a host of all other notions about this God. It's It's using this symbol to justify small visions of who we ought to be and who we ought to be and what we ought to be in relationship to and pointing toward in this life. Instead, there are people like Gordon Kaufman, professor who was actually at Pomona for a while and then Harvard Divinity School at the end of his career, who have been clear that the God we spoke of historically was problematic in many cases, as God has been often through time and needing periodically to be deconstructed as a symbol and reconstructed more to reflect the world that we hope for, not one that is enabling and empowering racism or xenophobia or sexism or crimes against the planet. In fact, in face of mystery is in part Kaufman's effort to walk through a reconstruction of a god for this time. But one thing is clear. He believed that that god had power That this God we struggled to name was a source of power for us, or could be, was for many of us, is. What is that power? To the best of my abilities, I'd say it's twofold for me. For me, God gives me a way to name something that is always somewhat mysterious and beyond my grasp, but that I experience in moments from time to time and always have. The thing that other people sense when they say or speak of moments of experiencing holiness or the numinous or deep time, or eternity that descends in a moment of time takes hold of something ordinary and makes it feel transcendent. These are not scientific experiences that I can nail down the way, the way actually my love for my husband isn't something that I could ever nail down or scientifically repeat, But beyond fully understanding and knowing, beyond my capacities to fully understand and know those experiences, they are something I need to name and be able to talk about as something that's real and that I'm in relationship to and ever seeking to be deeper in relationship to. Even though for me, it will always largely be something mysterious, and I'm okay with that but I need a name for it and a way to talk about it or be in conversation about it with other people working to name similar experiences and insights. And second for me is that the naming for me is also about this metaphor or symbol that in a larger sense points me always beyond myself. A God, you might say, that is not not made in human image because it always points beyond that which we can know and asks in the larger sense for us to continually be reaching beyond what we can know. Which means to Nadim's point, it always involves naming with an enormous amount of humility and the constant act of self-reflection and accountability to our own humanity and its smallness so that we don't imbue this this metaphor for something greater with the limits of our own current reality. keeps us striving, but also asks us to articulate and lean into our lives, into something much greater, the best of our imaginings, God is the metaphor for me that holds all of that. And if I use it with you and if you are open to that and we're allowed to talk together about what it is for you and for me and maybe find where we agree, that's incredibly powerful as a place we can stand anchored together and reach out into the world from. I suppose we don't need God, the Word, to do that, but that's the purpose, that it's often served and serves for me, and I'm not inclined to give it up because some people use it differently. It works for me, It speaks of a truth, holds it like a vessel. So it's this symbol for the ultimately mysterious and completely unknowable realities that we glimpse at and ultimate truths that lure us toward them to use some language of process, theology, this thing in us that wants wholeness and harmony, as I think a part of us does mysteriously, innately. And I think it's something we're always putting more specific detail on the way an iconographer in the Greek Orthodox or Russian Orthodox Church will put detail on an image. Things that we think we can know that are ever more specific from our experience and intuition that we name with humility always, but passionately ready to live into. God is a symbol, a metaphor, a name for that which is beyond any naming. It is then also that which calls us to live into it and strive to incarnate it in very specific ways. And I don't know what brushstrokes might be on your icon, but I think I know some of what might be because we're in this particular faith tradition together because of some of the roots and branches of that tradition and principles that we've all agreed feel right. And in our lived experience, our intuitive and spiritual moments have been named as such for us. God is not God's name, but our name, some of us, for that which… Let me take a draft. That which is a force of love beyond bounds. The one we experience from time to time that feels so holy, so precious. That love that always asks us to pay attention to who is outside the circle of acceptance and care. And when we see who is to stretch our hearts and invite one another to stretch theirs to bring those folks inside and always to believe, when we are least inclined to, that we also are inside that circle of love, never outside it, no matter what. God is not God's name, but our name for that which is the force of justice in the world, I think, calling us to be with it in that work that is about what love looks like in action in public, incarnate in systems and relationships. And as our understanding of this boundless love grows, so then does this work of justice and how it calls us into the world, commands us to be ever seeking to enlarge the circle of dignity and safety And equity. God is not God's name, my people, but it is our name for that which I think connects us. That feeling that we have, you know, sometimes in a crowd of people when we know that we're just one big family despite our apparent differences somehow threaded together. And we know it not as an idea, but as this embodied moment of knowing this epiphany that we're kin. And in those moments, we know that salvation has to happen only is available when all of us are granted it. And how that sense of interconnection when we're in tune with it seems sometimes too like a walk in the woods or standing at the edge of a cliff to pull through or at the ocean's edge, pull through all of life, laces our being through chlorophyll, stained leaves and the sinews of Mammals and the plasma of microscopic life hidden in the earth and in the oceans making their salvation ours too? Can this be a God we can speak of? Can God name, can it hold all the disparate ways we know, experience, reason, argue, hope, dream away to those truths that point beyond what we're living right now, calling us to live into it together humbly and passionately? I think it can. Can we see a vision of it reconstructed, this God, that's not a manipulative lie, but a compass towards which we orient where it is and how it is we want to go together through this life, even if we don't always have a map, but at least a compass, a direction, some place, some way of being in the world that we would be divine to be so in relationship to, so deeply connected to and aligned with that we incarnated it in our very being and all we touched. For me, that's what God is when I speak of God. It's what I pray to connect to in my prayer life. It's what I journal to better understand every morning. It's what I surrender to, asking it to remove my pettiness and to make me more faithful in my servanthood to all that's possible in me and in us and in this. I believe in that God, and I don't know how to describe it, but it's not just an idea. It's this mystical reality that I can't entirely explain, but it anchors me. And to paraphrase the old Osmobile ad, it's not your father's god. (laughs) But it is also tied to generations who sought and still seek to name and point and direct their lives towards similar kinds of ventures of the spirit. They have always been and there have always been those who are like us in this work and many doing so now we could link arms with of naming what's urgent and naming what's calling to us from beyond what is seen and known and what is begging for us to incarnate it in this gorgeous, aching world, something we call God some of us. service this morning with words about Sidney Poitier. And then I came across these words this week from a commencement address that another person we lost. At the end of last year on December 23rd, Joan Didion wrote when she gave a commencement address in 1975. She said, and if you ask me why you should bother to do that, I could tell you that the grave's a fine and private place, but none, I think, do there embrace. Nor, she writes, do they sing there or write or argue or see the title bore on the Amazon or touch their children. And that's what there is to do and get it while you can. And good luck at it. In that spirit, let's close worship this morning. In our comings and our goings, may the light of love shine upon us. Out from within us, be gracious unto us and grant us peace. For this is the day we are given. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Amen.